Welcome to Keystone Church Online. This is the first time that you've chosen to uh, tune in. We want to say uh, we're happy that you've uh, logged on. We're happy that you're uh, being a part of us worshiping together apart. So this is the fifth Sunday that we have chosen to not gather on site, uh, but to come to you uh, in your homes or in your cars or wherever you're listening to us uh, to be able to, as a church, uh, worship the risen Jesus Christ. Now, for the next um, few weeks, months, we still aren't sure uh, that this will be um, the new normal for us. Uh, And so there are a handful of ways that if you're going to continue to worship online with us that you can prepare ahead of time. And one of those would be uh, in the notes tab, whether in the uh, online streaming platform or online, you can download uh, the sermon notes, both for kids and for adults ahead of time. And so if you print those off, uh, you can go into this time prepared uh, to engage with the content. Now, when it comes to a Sunday morning like today, there are two main holidays in the church's calendar year that we celebrate at Keystone, Christmas and Easter. At Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God has come into the world uh, as a man named Jesus Christ, and we celebrate God with us, our Emmanuel. Uh, Easter, we celebrate the fact that God chose to die in our place, taking the penalty of our sins on Good Friday and nailing them to the cross. Um, But we also celebrate the fact that on Easter morning, Jesus rose from the grave, granting victory for us over our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. And so today is strange to celebrate Easter differently. And I'm guessing that you've probably begun to experience a lot of things different during this season. Home life looks different. Sunday mornings look a lot different. And what we want to say is in that difference, maybe be open to seeing what God might be shaping. Some opportunities, for instance, as you look outside, there are little pictures that God is giving to us to help us understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that Easter's in the springtime. So this past week, as I was walking through Lancaster City streets and seeing the flowers that are in bloom, I'm, I'm reminded of the truth that God says in Revelation, behold, I make all things new. And that little picture is of death and resurrection. And so maybe I'd encourage you, as you go outside this week and you see flowers that looked dead, throughout the entire wintertime, emerge from the ground with color and vibrancy. Maybe just remember in that moment that God is making all things new. Maybe as you start to see the grass grow up, the grass that looked dead and brown for months, now beginning to emerge and blanket the ground, and you have to get that zero-turn mower at uh, zero-turn mower out, fire it up, and drive around you can remember in that moment that God is at work to make all things new. So Keystone, we're starting to establish new rhythms and routines, and I'd encourage you to take the opportunities around you to see what God might be pointing you to and doing during this season. What I've heard from people who are in the medical profession is that um, we're not even yet into the worst of where things will be, that there's going to be a surge and They're preparing the hospitals and medical facilities to be ready for that surge probably late May, uh, mid-May to late May. 
What that means is that we're going to be in this pattern for a while and to uh, allow this season to shape us and look for opportunities, um, they're going to become knocking. And what I mean by that is everybody's experiencing some kind of inconvenience. And there might be little disappointments, like we're not able to go to our t-ball games the way that we wanted to. And we might not be able to uh, meet up with our friends at school and graduate the way that we expected our senior year to wrap up. You might have summer plans, vacations, wedding plans, that as you look into the future, you're unsure of what things will be. Everyone's experiencing some kind of inconvenience, and what I'm wondering is, will there be times where we need to prepare for more than just inconvenience, but pain and grief? As the disease spreads more to Lancaster County, we might start to feel the effects in ways that we haven't felt yet. And my encouragement for us is to prepare for that day, because there are going to be conversations that are going to be had regarding grief and disappointment beyond just missing t-ball, but missing out on family and friends for weeks. Businesses that go under, uh, jobs that are lost. And as the church, I think we have the opportunity in this season to remember the good news that Jesus Christ says that in the darkest of times, there will be a light that breaks through. When it looks like things are dead and dying, that there is a resurrection. And so the conversations that are going to be had, I know that some of you are having conversations with your coworkers, for those who are still at work, and it's shifted away from work conversations into spiritual conversations. You might find yourself being more of a counselor during this season. When you interact with your kids, you're not just a parent, but you're also a disciple maker. When you're interacting with your family and friends, like you're able to express a kind of love and a kind of hope and a kind of faith that I think the world desperately is craving right now. So thank you for being a part of our worship services this morning. Uh, at the time in the service, we would normally um, take an offering. Um, and I want to say to those of you who've given online, thank you so much for believing in what Keystone is doing, for believing in our mission to be able to serve and love those in our church and in our community. There are a handful of ways that Keystone is partnering with local ministries like the factory, uh, as well as taking care of needs within our body through our Compassion Ministries. Compassion Ministries is a group of people at Keystone who have been tasked to uh, allocate the funds necessary to care for practical needs. And so at Keystone, we want to know how we can help you. And the way that you can let us know that is by going to keystonechurch.org compassion and clicking on the little link that says, I need help. Now, I know in Lancaster County, there is a little bit of pride that can swell up, but says, I don't need anybody's help. And we would want to say, it's okay. That's what the body of Christ is for, to love and serve one another. And so if you have needs, we want to know about it. Humble yourselves if you need to, but let us know. Click on that link. I need help. And we know that one of the things that makes the body a strong body is that when one part is weak, the others come along and serve. And so we also want to bear with the needs of one another. And so if you have the ability to give or to serve and you are looking for ways to help, you can click on that same uh, website, keystonechurch.org compassion, and click on the tab that says, I want to help.
and from there our compassion ministries will be able to deploy you, whether maybe to help serve by driving at the factory or by providing food uh, for their food pantry. Uh, it might mean delivering uh, explore journals. It might mean dropping off groceries at somebody's home. There are many ways that we want to be able to serve, and um, my uh, encouragement to you and my gratitude to you is thank you for those of you who have partnered with us uh, by helping Keystone continue to serve by giving online. You can give online at keystonechurch.org give. Uh, you can give through our church center app on your mobile device, uh, or you can continue to send in checks to 6 Peckway Drive, Paradise PA, 17562. Um, thank you so much. I'm going to pray for us uh, as we head into the worship service together. Uh, and my encouragement for you would be that God might use this time uh, to remind you of his promise, that he is making all things new. That though there might be death, though there might be destruction, though there might be chaos and uncertainty, that there is a resurrection that we can celebrate. So would you join me in praying? Father, we come to you and worship you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who knows all things from beginning to end and was not caught off guard by this virus. But in your divine wisdom and your divine timing are using it to, to, to accomplish your purposes in the world. Father, I pray that your church would represent your mission well during this time. I pray that your spirit would equip us with the words that we need in order to communicate to a world that is fearful and in panic, experiencing anxiety with the uncertainty. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to display a compassion that would understand pain and understand suffering. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a kind of peace that surpasses understanding, that we might both model for others as well as be able to articulate why we have hope in the midst of uncertainty, why we have peace in moments of misery, and that as a church we might be able to display the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ that centers it on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this Easter morning we might be reminded that our sin was so heavy and so heinous that you needed to die in our place for our sin and that we might celebrate the fact that Jesus bore our sin and that on Easter that we might be able to remember the empty tomb that death could not hold Christ, that he is our victor over our biggest enemy of death, of sin, of Satan, and that that resurrection hope might give us hope that he too will raise our bodies to newness of life, that we might be able to spend eternity being able to enjoy the presence of our Lord. God, I pray that that hope in the future might give us hope during these seasons. I pray that you would sustain our medical workers as they prepare for the surge ahead, as they might have to risk their own health and their own homes to be able to serve the vulnerable in our community. And we thank you for their compassion. I pray that you would protect them. Lord, for those who are uh, in business and wondering where the next paycheck will come from, I pray that you would 
surround them with the church. That they might be able to go through this season of lack and yet know that you have blessed them with an abundance of grace. I pray that you would supply them with hope into the future, with wisdom and discernment as they make decisions about where to go and what to do moving forward. Lord, we pray for your sustaining hand over the business leaders in our community. And Lord, we ask for wisdom for our government and our health officials that as they consider when to open up the, uh, the community, when they allow us to leave our homes, that you would help guide them by the principle of what's best for someone else. That they would be marked by supernatural wisdom, marked by supernatural compassion and concern. That you'd give them the discernment that they need to do what's best for this world. Lord, ultimately we know that you are on the throne, that you rule and reign, and so we put our hope in you. Thank you for this time. Pray that you would allow us to see you in greater glory and that you might fill us with hearts full of joy as we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. And if you uh, forgot to get your communion elements ready, perhaps you want to go do that right now. And meanwhile, I'll say um, better Easter to you. That's my new attempt to figure out an alternative to Happy Easter. That just sounded too much like chocolate bunnies and Easter eggs. And I thought, we say Good Friday. Well, if that's good, then Easter is better. So better Easter to you. I wonder if you've ever been stuck out in the wilderness or someplace where you ran out of food and water and what that would be like. The most important essentials in life, suddenly you don't have them. This was the kind of thing that happened to Israel when they escaped from Egypt, left their enslavement behind, suddenly found themselves out in the desert, and there was no food and water. A number of years ago, my wife and I were uh, in Egypt, and we were traveling down the Sinai Peninsula, and we would go for 100 miles and not see a sign of anything, of life, nothing but rocks. And imagine what it would be like to be stuck out there, have no one to call, no one to reach out to. And so they're in the, in the desert, the Israelites cry out to God because they have no food. And God rains down, literally rains down food on them to provide for them. It was nutritious, it was tasty, it was sweet. Laid on the desert floor, the people would pick it up and the next day God would do it again and the next day he would do it again over and over and over and met their need for food. And then they ran out of water. And again, they cried out to God and Moses struck the rock and God made water gush forth, not just a little bit, but enough to provide for the needs of several million people. You can live a couple of months without food, you can live a couple of days without water, but sooner or later you need those essentials of life. And when Israel was at its dire straits, those days were not far from Jesus' mind when 1,500 years later he's talking to the people in John 6 and saying, I'm, I'm your food, I'm your bread, I'm your water, I'm your drink. And the people understood what he was referring back to, but they didn't understand what he was talking about in this day. 
And he explained to them, I, if you put your faith in me, you'll never again go hungry. You'll never again go thirsty. You'll finally set free of sin and finally stop running after all kinds of other satisfactions and be satisfied in him. If you want to live, I'm willing to die for you. And if you read John 6, many people turned away. It was a, as a gospel writer describes it, a hard teaching. But some believed. And this celebration today, this communion, what a better time to celebrate communion or the Lord's table, the Eucharist, Lord's Supper, than on Easter Day. Because we, when we celebrate it, we remember, we think back to uh, the day when G Jesus did what he did for us. And so if you have the elements ready, let me just uh, go over what they signify, what they mean. I have here this morning uh, matzah. You may have bread that's thicker than this and moist, but this is a cracker kind of bread because it had no yeast in it. And that was a pretty important deal as Israel would remember um, their escape from Egypt and how God delivered them. As they celebrated Passover, they would use matzah. They would use unleavened bread, bread without yeast in it, because they had to flee Egypt very quickly, very rapidly, didn't have enough time to let the bread rise. But there was another component to that. As they celebrated Passover, the yeast in bread signifies sin. And so as Orthodox Jewish homes would celebrate Passover this past week and Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would sweep out their houses, vacuum them symbolically, making sure that there was no sign, no hint of yeast in the house any longer because they want sin to be gone. And as Jesus held the bread that night, celebrating the Passover with his men, he said, this is my body which is given for you. How could he say that unless there was no sin in it? The only way that he could die for Everyone would be if there was no sin. He had no sin to take care of on his own, but he could take care of the sins of others. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And so Jesus is the bread of life who feeds, feeds us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our Savior who gave up his life for us, his body, hammered to a cross uh, so that we might be free. He indeed is the bread of life and we eat in remembrance of him. At the Lord's table, we also take the cup, wine or grape juice in my cup here. What's important is not the essence of the liquid, but the color, the dark red color representing Jesus' blood. What brought peace between God and the believing sinner. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Sin is everything that we've done wrong, everything we've failed to do right. It is neglecting God, ignoring him, and making life all about ourselves and ending up being really being our own savior. Yet without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And this is what 
God tried to drill home to the Israelites all those years, those centuries when he had them offering lambs and bulls and turtle doves and goats. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so after millions and millions and millions of animals had shed their blood, God sent the Lord Jesus so that he could die once for all for the sins of the world. And Colossians 1.20 says it is by the means of Christ's blood on the cross that he's reconciled us with God. You think of the two warring parties that Jesus reconciled. There was God who was angry at the people that he made, that's us who are sinners. And there's us who are guilty because of our sins. And Jesus in his blood brought these two warring parties together and not only made peace by his blood, but even made these enemies of God, these former enemies of God into God's own dear children, his sons and his daughters. Father, we thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life, the innocent for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous, and we drink in remembrance of him who reconciled us to you. Let's close our communion time in prayer. Father, we were dead because of our sins and because of our sinful nature, it had not yet been cut away. And then you made us alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. You canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to Jesus' cross. And in this way, you disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities. You shamed them publicly by your victory over them on the cross. It indeed is a better Easter for us. Amen. Well, again, better Easter. And uh, it's been disappointing these last number of weeks. Uh, I've heard that expressed from some of you as well. Uh, not to be able to get together, but how disappointing is it on Easter that we can't get together? And I think that craving is a good thing. I think it's a healthy thing. It's, it's almost like it's a, a microcosm of wanting to be together with a family of faith for all e eternity. Um, and so, but praise God that we can at least get together in this virtual way today. I don't know about you, but in light of what all is happening in the world, I've kind of stopped checking the news so often. <laughs> I pretty much already know what they're gonna say. It's really bad out there, things are bad. And if, you, if somebody would ask you, why, why are things so bad in the world? And it's obviously not just the United States. Uh, this past week, I started Googling uh, probably about eight or 10 different countries around the world to see what things are like in India, what are, what are things that like in Tajikistan? What are things like in Morocco and Indonesia and Tanzania and Guinea? And it was interesting to find out how people were living and some are very similar to the way we are. Uh, other places like, like Sweden, kind of things going, across, uh, going uh, on as if they were normal. But things are bad, 
things are bad. They're bad not only with the disease, but the economy that is kind of in, uh, going south because of the, some of the steps that are being taken. And so we really don't need to hear that all over again. Is it because of the coronavirus, though? The answer to that might be both yes and no. And I would say no for this reason. Because the coronavirus is not a threat to the air. It's not a threat to the sand on the seashore. It's not, it's not a threat to your pickup truck. It's only a threat to our bodies. Everything has changed. Billions, literally billions of people are, are living ra radically differently than they, they did just a month and a half ago because there's a threat afoot, a threat to our bodies. And the reason that that's significant to me this morning is because Easter is about a body. It's about an, a new body. We spotlight as Christians on Easter Day the same claim that we make uh, three, 364 other days in the year and the same claim that we have been making for 2,000 years, that a dead rabbi who claimed to be God came back to life in a new body. A dead rabbi who claimed to be God came back to life and didn't just come to back to life, but he came back to life in a new body, a different body. Now, when Jesus came to earth, claiming to be God, he came to us in a very ungodlike fashion. What I mean by that is that he put on a body. He confined himself to a body. Jesus says in John 4, 24, that God is, is not a body. He's not limited by a body. He's not um, restricted by a body. God is spirit, and those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. Now, we know from instances, even in the Old Testament, that God came in a body. Genesis 18, he shows up at Abraham's door with a couple of angels um, when he reveals a portion of himself to uh, Moses. But that's not who God is. That He's not defined by a body. He, he doesn't typically go about in a body. Uh, because the body is limiting. The body is demanding. The fact that Jesus put on a body to come to us, to come to this planet and serve us, didn't only have implications for him, but it had implications for us as well. We'll talk about them this morning. Let's pray together before we get any further. Father, we praise you for what we remember on Easter. We give thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ who came, born of a virgin, came and lived a life here, uh, taught us, and then went to the cross to sacrifice himself for sinners like me, and then rose from the dead. As we're gonna see again this morning, had he simply died as a good-natured gesture to sinners like me, it would have been meaningless other than a nice thought that he rose again has changed everything. It has changed our outlook on this life and it has changed our outlook on the next. It has given us hope for this life, but has given us great hope for the next one as well. I pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us, encourage us, fill our hearts with hope this morning. 
And for those who might not know Jesus, that they might too get a glimmer of the glorious hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. I want to talk first about Jesus' mission body. And after a little bit, we're going to talk about what I call his harvest body. Basically body one and then body two. The body that he came to earth in, first of all. We'll talk about his mission body. What was his mission? What was Jesus' mission? When the father said, I have a, a job for you to do, what did he expect him to do? We can boil it down to this. Go and reconcile those that I created to me. Reconcile those that I created to me. Because this almost eternal breach had been established based on what happened in the garden. When Adam and Eve rebelled against uh, a God, disobeyed the only command he gave them to keep, uh, all of their posterity, all of the descendants that came after them were also tarnished by this sin. And so there was an estrangement. God here, people here. Go and reconcile those I created to me. Now, if you're part of a Marine battalion and you get sent out to uh, sent on a mission, there's all kinds of things you have to do to get ready for that mission. You're probably going to have to look at some maps. You're going to put together a, a list of gear that you'll need, whether it's clothing, provisions, weapons. Uh, you're going to need transportation to the mission, whether it's on, on a ship or it's uh, in planes. There's a lot you need to get ready. Jesus Christ was going to go on the most important mission in the world in all time. And the only thing that he got ready and the only thing that he took with him was a body like yours and like mine. Now, why would he do that? The body demands so much of us, he, it limits us in so many ways. This morning when I got awake, the first thing that got my attention was my body. It hurt. It was stiff. And so I rolled out of bed the way my physical therapists have taught me to get out of bed. And for the next 20 minutes, my body consumed me. I showered. I shaved. I combed. No, I didn't. And then I got dressed. I put clothes on my body. And then my body carried me out to the kitchen where I got some breakfast. And then it carried me back into the bathroom where it had me do some, some of its teeth maintenance. And then it carried me over to my desk. It used its hands to open my Bible. And with the, its mind and, and with its um, comprehension, I read and I listened to God. And that's the ongoing nature of all of our days. Everything throughout our days is contingent upon our bodies. We can't do anything without it. And it also limits us. So if I'm, I'm right here, but I would like to be five miles away or 500 miles away, I can't do that without getting some transportation that transports my body from where I am to where I want to be. So many limitations. Uh, somebody told me this week, I guess, that they're talking about the COVID-15. Kind of like your freshman 15 in college, you put on 15 uh, pounds in that first year. And now that we're home so much, we're putting on weight. I can testify to that. 
usually I, before this all happened, I would eat a piece of fruit or maybe a little bit of baked oatmeal in the morning. That would be it. And then I wouldn't eat lunch. And then my next meal would be uh, dinner in the evening. Well, now that I'm at home, uh, Betty will come out to me at 9, 10 o'clock and say, well, you want me to cook you some breakfast? And I'm like, I already had some fruit. Well, she said, I'll make you another breakfast. And sometimes I let her. And then a couple hours later, she's saying, do you want some lunch? Well, I usually don't have lunch, but sometimes I have lunch again. And I got on the scales last night, and that was really, really disappointing. And it's limiting. As we gain more weight, we have more difficulty doing the things that we want. There are certain things that take a, an immense amount of strength, and only if we have spent a lot of time working out and lifting weights and so forth can we actually do it. Very demanding, very limiting. Why would Jesus take into this planet nothing but a suit of flesh that only makes demands and only limits only limits you. The answer to that is given to us in Hebrews 2, verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only if he had a human body could he fulfill the mission that God sent him to carry out? Only by dying could he break the power of death. In other words, break the spiritual forces of wickedness who had kept us in bondage. That's the reason that Jesus has a body. And so how was the mission possible? How, how, did, how, did Jesus, how he, was he able to fulfill and complete the mission? Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 tells us, Yet now Jesus has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. That reconciliation required a physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without, without a single fault. You think about that. That because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that if we turn to him in faith and repentance, we can stand before God with, with, without a fault. The sins that we committed yesterday, the sins that we commit today, the sins that we're going to commit tomorrow, next week, and next year, not held against us because of what Jesus did on the cross. How was the mission possible? Well, it was only possible because of Jesus' body and reconciling us, being able to reconcile us to God who had been angry at us because of our sin. So this is Jesus, like a mission body, the one that he came to earth, carried out his mission with, and then something happened. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. It's only right that on Easter day we read an account of the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew 28, beginning of verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Now, as we check the other gospel accounts, we realize there really were uh, quite a few women who had gone to the tomb that morning. It was only women, and perhaps as many as five to seven. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, there was Salome, Joanna, and several other women, one of the gospel writers says. 
Verse 2, suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. In other words, they went unconscious. These are not scaredy cats. These are not men who are normally frightened of anything. They're soldiers. They're accustomed to great danger. And suddenly, a messenger from heaven makes them pass out. Verse 5, then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said, he, as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I have told you. I'm calling this new body Jesus' harvest body. For, I'll explain what that, why that is in a, in a few minutes. When Jesus dressed himself in a body like ours, he accepted the greatest threat that existed to the human body, death. That's something you can't bounce back from. You can get the coronavirus and maybe bounce back from that. You can have a broken heart and bounce back from that, although it doesn't always feel like it at the time. You can have a serious financial reversal, like probably many of us are going to have in the next few weeks, months, and probably years. My wife got the mail yesterday and she said, well, do you want to hear how much money you lost in your IRA? And I said, not really. And she said, just guess. And so I guessed a number. Well, it turned out I, it was kind of good news because I only lost half of what I guessed. Uh, but you can bounce back from a financial reversal. You can't bounce back from death. I've stood and watched people stand at the a corner of a loved one's casket and scream or weep, even curse. Why? Because they, they know that no matter what they do, no matter how good of a doctor they know, no, no matter how much money they have, no matter who's famous that they have a relationship with, they cannot bounce back from death. Nobody can. And yet Jesus did. The angel sang in verse 6, Come and see where his body was lying. It's not there anymore. Now the question is, what kind of body was it that Jesus now inhabits, that he now took up? Was it a body like Lazarus, for example, or Jairus' daughter? These are people that Jesus had raised from the dead. And we know uh, that Larius, uh, Lazarus had been dead for four days. In fact, people were concerned when Jesus went to his tomb to raise him from the dead, and they didn't know that was going to happen. They were concerned because by now the body would start to it'd be decaying and it would be smelling bad. It, for four days, it had no uh, blood pumping uh, throughout the body by the heart. For four days, there'd been no oxygen in the body, uh, inflating and deflating the lungs and, and, and doing all the things that it has to do in the body. And yet Jesus raised that body back from the dead. 
miracle. Obviously, you can't restart a body, but Jesus did. Now, here's the thing. That body was just like the body that Lazarus had had before he died. It's still susceptible to sickness. It's, it's still susceptible to death. It, it still could be injured. It still has its limits. It can't be here and somewhere else at once or instantly. All kinds of limits. And Lazarus died again. The Bible talks about us being born again, and that's a great thing, but to imagine dying again. So this was not the kind of body, according to the testimony of the Gospels, that Jesus had when he rose again. We see a couple of things uh, that are told about it. One, that this body looked somewhat like the previous body, but also somewhat different. For example, Jesus, when he got with his disciples, and they weren't sure that he had been raised from the dead, he said, look, put your hand in here. You see this place where a spear went in my side? Put, put your hand in that indentation. Put, put your hand on the, on the spike holes here in my wrists, the scars that are there. The, look at my feet. You can touch them. There's a continuity from that last body. But there's also some differences. So when Jesus suddenly appeared beside a couple of men who knew him, on the road they're walking to Emmaus and, and he sees they're looking kind of downcast and what's the problem? And they said, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened? We, we had this, this man who had appeared among us and, and he looked like he was going to be the Messiah to set Israel free. Alas, he's dead. And Jesus goes on to tell them the, the gospel using all the Old Testament scriptures. And then all of a sudden he's gone. And they didn't recognize him the whole time that he's with them. And all of a sudden as he vanished, it dawned on them, we've just been with Jesus. So it had to be some kind of difference in his presentation, what he looked like, that wasn't automatically recognizable. That's one thing. Secondly, just like Jesus appeared with those disciples and then he vanished, Jesus seems like he can come and go at will. He doesn't have to walk uh, to, to get where he wants to go. He just comes and he goes, boom, boom. And his body is not limited with the same kind of physical limitations that it once was. It says on a couple of occasions that he, uh, he, had, he goes through locked doors to meet with the disciples. And he's with them, and then he's gone. He goes through walls, apparently. Very different from the body that he had just had. One other interesting note. In Luke 24, verse 39, when Jesus is trying to convince the disciples that he's not a ghost, he says, you know, kind of touch me. Does a ghost have flesh? And we would normally think you would finish that statement with, uh, blood, flesh and blood. We use that language today. The Bible uses that language to speak about the human body, flesh and blood. But on that occasion, Jesus says, does a ghost have flesh and bones? Presumably, there's no longer any need for blood in the body. We have a superstructure. The bones are still there, but don't need much of the rest of it. Apparently, Jesus' body, this new body that he got when he came back to life, was not like Lazarus, but it was, his new body was a prototype. 
It was a prototype. He received the very first of this kind of body. He's the first fruits or he's the first harvest of a great harvest yet to come that many of us are going to participate in. And let me shift now to talking about our harvest body. Our harvest body. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. This, this chapter is almost all about the resurrection body. Fascinating things in here. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff in here that's just uh, riveting. But let me read beginning of verse 16. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, so Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth in Greece. And he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Apparently, the question about the resurrection of Christians, resurrection of their bodies, has been of some concern in the church in Corinth. So he's responding to that. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, meaning Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, harvest body. And then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Now again, verse 16 seems to suggest that there were those in the church he's writing to who think that when Christians die, they don't get a resurrection body. And let me just insert a footnote here. The Bible says we don't get a resurrection body when we die. We get that body when we come back with Jesus, when Jesus comes back to earth and sets up his earthly kingdom here in this world. And so in some mysterious fact, we still exist. We don't sleep when we die. We go to be with uh, the Lord. Uh, Paul says that first uh, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we go be with the Lord when we die, but that, that new body we don't get until we come back uh, with Jesus Christ. So there are some people who are thinking, though, that Christians never get a new resurrection body. And it may be that the church at Corinth was infected with a heresy that, that plagued some of the early churches in the, uh, in the first century. Uh, a heresy called Gnosticism, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Gnosticism. The Gnostics had a number of uh, odd beliefs. A lot of Christian scholars think that the book of Colossians might have been written to counter the Gnostic heresy. But one of the things that they believed was that the body was bad. It's interesting, we have some of that even in the church today, where there's so much uh, anxiety about the body and sexual misconduct. We often see this with uh, parents as their children hit adolescence, and we we bombard them with anti-sex messages so much that I think sometimes we inadvertently pass along the, the message that your body is bad 
and the, the scripture does not say that. It says that the body can be used for good or bad. Uh, Romans 12 verse 1 talks about us uh, uh, laying our bodies down as a living sacrifice uh, for Jesus Christ. That, in other words, that our entire life is lived for the glory of God and for His purposes. So some of the Gnostics, the Gnostics believed that the body was bad. If you could just separate the body from the immaterial part of a human being, the soul spirit, that would be the best thing. And so maybe there was some of that in Corinth, that they thought the soul spirit's praiseworthy, not the body. And maybe even thought that the resurrection of the body is unnecessary, so to speak. But here's the point that Paul is trying to make uh, with his words. He's saying there is an unbreakable link between Jesus and Jesus' followers. There is an unbreakable link between Jesus and Jesus' followers. Verse 16, if there's no resurrection of the dead, meaning resurrection of dead Christians, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only in this life, we are to be more, more to be pitied than anyone in the world. In other words, if we, a little bit like Mahatma Gandhi, who thought um, a lot of Jesus, he really admired him as a good moral teacher and so forth. But he only admired Jesus as someone who can help him in this life. Paul says, if that's it, that's not a very big deal. Here's, here's the thing, since we have this unbreakable link between Jesus, uh, between Jesus and ourselves as his followers, Paul's saying if we're not going to one day rise from the dead, then Jesus didn't. If we're not going to one day rise from the dead, dead Jesus didn't, and that means that Easter is a hoax. Secondly, if we don't one day get a new body, that means that Jesus didn't. Again, Easter is a hoax. In fact, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead at all, that means his mission failed. And that means that the gospel is a hoax. Last Christmas, New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof sat down with Phil Yancey, who was a, a well-known Christian author, um, probably his highlight was uh, 15 to 30 years ago. Wrote a lot of books, uh, number, number of books on suffering, number of books on grace. And Christoph has been doing this uh, over the years, sitting down with uh, noted religious leaders of all types and asking them questions. And he asked Yancey this. He said, what is someone like myself who deeply admires Jesus' teachings but is skeptical of the virgin birth of the miracles and of a physical resurrection. Am I a Christian? Let me repeat that. What is someone like myself who deeply admires Jesus' teachings but is skeptical of the virgin birth, of the miracles, and of a physical resurrection? Am I a Christian? The Bible says that if Jesus wasn't raised, there is no gospel for us. There is no future for us. There is no future resurrection for us. There is no salvation. There is no hope.
If you are uneasy or afraid about what's happening or what's going to happen, you're not alone. In the United States alone, we've had, what, 19,000, perhaps 20,000 deaths. We have about a half a million infected, and some of those people are going to die. But you know, there's something worse than dying. It's living with no hope except to have a little bit better life and a little bit longer life. There's something worse than dying. It is to have no hope except a little bit better life here on earth and a little bit longer life here on earth. And the reason I say that that's worse is because none of us are going to get out of this alive. All of us will one day breathe our last, whether that's sooner or later. Here's where the hope lies. Suiting up in a body just like yours, Jesus came to earth to get you and to reunite you with his maker. And the question that I have for you this morning is, did he succeed? Have you let Jesus complete his mission in your life? And if you haven't, you can. You can just talk to God, either by thinking or speaking out loud, something like this. God, I know you and I aren't on the same page. You say that sins like murder and sins like pride equally offend you. I can't save myself, so would you? I confess all my sin and I trust Jesus to forgive me. Thank you, amen. And what blows my mind every time I think about when I prayed something like that 40 years ago is that in a moment, God transforms us. And in a moment, God transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life, from being an enemy of his to being a child of his. And, and fireworks didn't, may not have gone off in your house, but something has been radically changed in the cosmos. Not because you were so smart or you were so good, but because in that moment, Jesus was able to finish his mission in your life and reunite and reconcile you to your heavenly father. If you've printed out the notes, that prayer is printed on there and you can pray it later or something like it, or you can pray it a week from now or a year from now. And God is always ready, willing, and eager to respond to you. Let me close with a prayer from scripture. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. Father, thank you that this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at your right hand in the heavenly realms. We're so grateful for what Easter means to us. We're so thankful that Jesus could complete a mission for you. And my prayer is that many, many, many would have that mission fulfilled in their lives 
today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Better Easter. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. There are a handful of ways that you can take some next steps. Like I said in uh, the opening, you can go to keystonechurch.org compassion. If you have needs, we want to hear about them. And if you are looking for ways to help, we want to hear about it. Uh, so let us know. Right now, there's a next step that you can take. If you're worshiping with us uh, on our online streaming platform, uh, there is a little button that says live prayer. Uh, if you're looking for someone to pray with right now, someone to be able to hear your needs and intercede to God on your behalf, um, this window will be open for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes after the service. And we'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you um, and for you during this time. Thanks for joining us. I'd ask that you'd um, see us again next time. Thanks.